Uh, type seven is the joyful person or the enthusiast, and they are all about joy and variety and excitement and what's the next thing. And life is like a buffet and all um, their visionary life of the party, um, but can um, struggle with staying present and sitting in pain. They're always just moving on to that next um, experience. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, swear I paid all my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan, they can't eat. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Cup of Nurses podcast with your host, Matt, and myself, Peter. Before I head into the show, just some housekeeping real quick. Don't forget to check out couplenurses.com. We keep all our show notes there. If you guys want to check out the cool links and just read on to what else we talk about, definitely check that out. We also have our vlogs there, and literally every episode is literally on there. Also, we have wearefrontlinewarriors.com. That's out and about. It's very... It's a very cool blog uh, regarding mindfulness, wellness, trying to be a more conscious being. And both of those also have shops. So a couple nurses.shop is out and available. And so is wearefrontlinewarriors.shop. For all of you that listen to us and view us on YouTube, thank you for that. We're always trying to build our YouTube audience because YouTube is where it's at. And it's also the place where you guys could actually see how we look and how we interact and what we're all about. So Matt. I'm doing pretty well. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Jana Thompson, which is an Enneagram practitioner. So she offers deep insight into individuals based on their three centers of intelligence, the mind, the gut, and the heart. You don't want to miss this episode. It's jam-packed full of deep insight into the human psyche. So Jana, I know you have a wide variety of nursing experience uh, under your belt. Can you tell us a little bit about those experiences? I know you did a lot of ICU trauma and now you're in informatics. Yeah. Yeah. So I got out of school. I've been a nurse 23 years um, and went right into um, trauma burn ICU right out of um, college, worked the night shift and um, really loved that evening or that nighttime where I could start to absorb and really understand all the lines and the complexities. Um, and then we moved a little bit closer to home and I did a stint um, in a surgical ICU and um, then uh, had a family and decided it was time to um, not work nights. And so I took a um, position in the recovery room, which I loved and um, started uh, beginning to be on a committee um, where we were doing some optimization on the electronic health record and got to be involved in some of the design work. And which led me to, hey, you guys, you wanna come work for us down here in the informatics side? And I was like, yeah, that's really interesting. And it was completely a whole new world. Um, had no idea what was all involved kind of on that back end part and how the data is stored and how to retrieve it and all of that. And then um, uh, was asked to go over to nursing professional development where I would um, help onboard and do some of the education um, for anything new that was coming up within the electronic record. Was Burns ICU, was that your first choice coming out of nursing school or did you kind yeah. of just take that job just because it was available? No, I knew that I wanted, I did a um, capstone in ICU and knew I wanted to do that. And so. 
how's the burns unit how's how's the burns unit experience because i don't think we've had a burns unit ice no. unit. Oh, it was intense i mean they are the sickest patients um and in fact the unit that i was in it was peds all the way up to adults so saw some really really interesting um we were proning people back you know 20 years ago um you know that had burns that were in ards and um yeah they're complex patients we had um people that had been electrocuted and lost a limb, um, chemical burns, all sorts of stuff. So with your 20 plus years experience, what can you tell a new grad that's listening right now? What is one piece of advice that you've learned with your experience? Um, I would say just to keep, um, your eyes open, looking for things that interest you and to bring you, that bring you joy and never to kind of just rule that out. And so always be willing to learn and, um, be open and willing to step out of your comfort zone when it's really easy to stay in it. How were your units overall? Did you have uh, like, cause I know some nurses have like a very toxic work environment. Uh, how were your, your units? And also what made you jump from like bedside to like professional development and more of an informatics kind of route? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, definitely team approach in the burn and trauma ICU and in the ICU, we had a group of people that I worked with consistently, um, had some people float in. And so I had really, really great experiences in the critical care areas. And granted, that has been a while. Um, and I know that um, it's a lot different right, right now in the midst of this pandemic. But um, and then um, I loved the fast pace of the um, PACU area where I got to have critical care patients, but I didn't have to keep them for 12 hours and I didn't have to deal with families for 12 hours. Um, and so, uh, you know, just being involved in some committees gave me that opportunity to look at, um, a different type of nursing with, um, informatics. And so that really piqued me to be able to translate from like technical talk to, um, clinician talk to be that like translator. Um, and so that that's been a really fun um, experience, you know, and just trying to understand how we can leverage all of this data that we put in, put in stuff that may not even ever be retrieved, um, you know, and looking at is that meaningful? What kind what kind of story does that tell us about the about the patient and the record? Did your relationship change with the electronic medical record that we have because so many nurses we have a negative stigma against it. We always think it's yeah. just a giant cash register for insurance companies, basically. Yeah, you know, and and I understanding, you know, the reason why um, it can, I don't know, it gives it a little bit of grace, um, but also having a nurse on that side to go, that's, that's not right, that's dumb. Like, that's a waste of time. That's double documenting. Um, that can be really valuable to be able to have that clinical brain when um, when they're the design around it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is a little bit of a negative, well, a lot of a negative connotation. Um, and so understanding, you know, and leveraging that data to make it most the most efficient, safe, you know, for regulatory, for, um, you know, reimbursement and all of that stuff, how it all works together, um, you know, has been pretty fascinating and being able to explain to nurses the why behind it. I think we all really want to understand the why. Why are you making us do this? You know, why are you adding this onto my task list? And so if you can understand the why, 
get on board a little bit easier. So I've never, we've never spoken to an informatics nurse. Can you run us through like, um, like your day-to-day -day activities as an informatic nurse in case someone's curious on, on what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So it can vary, you know, you can support um, a certain um, solution, whether or not, let's say it's emergency, emergency department. And so you're looking, you're helping run reports, you're helping um, decide if something needs to be added or removed or um, um, going up rounding, looking at um, seeing how things are going, if something's broken, troubleshooting. A huge part of it is troubleshooting, like putting on your investigator and going, okay, well, does it work here? You know, or where is this coming from? Where's the breakdown? So I would say it's a really big into investigation and looking um, looking into what was documented, why, where, when, and trying to put the pieces together. Okay. How did you start transitioning to a more entrepreneurial route or when did you start kind of thinking, I need a break from bedside or nursing as maybe the beyond all careers you once thought? Well, you know, I think, I think I realized that the, you know, our role as a nurse isn't always the most fulfilling and that I realized I had to find other ways to um, find joy and to find fulfillment. And so I started doing some self-development work and um, started looking at my motivations, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and, and maybe I can find joy and, and happiness and fulfillment in other places besides our role. You know, we spend so much time at our jobs and learning to fill our cups in different ways, not expecting our job to do all of that. And so that's kind of what led me down this path of burnt, you know, I was burnt out. And when I started kind of the self-discovery phase of my life, I started going, oh, well, you know, this is, this is why I feel this way. You know, my, my reactions, my behaviors, you know, we, you look back on your past and you're like, okay, I had that same fight over and over with my parents, or I had that same argument with my significant other, um, or I react the same way. And so um, learning this has allowed me to choose differently. It allows you to make a different choice to um, choose differently, which can improve relationships, with yourself, with your peers, with your family. Um, and so it led me down to nurses need this. We are really, really burnt out. And um, understanding why people do the things that they do can be really um, powerful, as well as it can give us um, grace and compassion towards each other to understand if you have a coworker that is over the top aggressive, you know, plows over everybody. And then you have somebody over here that's a withdrawing type, you can understand like that's how they react to conflict or to stress. You know, one might withdraw, one might go forward and assertive towards you. So it gives you, um, well, it's given me and the, the people that I work with um, an opportunity to allow that grace of understanding other people, seeing things differently. So here at the Couple Nurse, we like to talk a lot about adversity and how to overcome stress. Uh, can you share some tips or the ways you kind of overcame adversity? I know you've you've been through a lot because we've got to know you a little bit uh, be before the show. And like, what do you recommend for nurses that are really stressed out in the unit, out the unit, like when they're really down and life is really kind of kicking their ass? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think about, you know, like how did you like this post-traumatic, we're not even in the post right now. And so the only thing that 
we can do right now in the midst of this massive burnout, if, you're, if you don't quit or switch jobs, is to, when you come home, to do all of those things that um, uh, give you rest and recovery and getting outside, getting out into nature, not sitting in bed all day, um, doing those things that you um, bring you creativity, that bring you um, joy that bring you healing um, to know that when you do have to go back into, you know, these areas of burnout that, that you do have some energy, some good energy, um, you know, on your days off. So really it's, it's rest, recovery, finding um, things that fill your cup, maybe intellectually, maybe it can be com something completely non-nursing, um, figuring out ways spiritually that you can fill your cup physically um, and getting those buckets of, of your life um, filled up when you're not at work. Um, and it just can, can help with some of that burnout. But um, I don't think we're on the post part yet. So what do you think are the, because you mentioned you have to fill your own cup. So if we kind of take a step back from burnout, we all know why burnout happens in the work environment when it comes to, you know, stressful situations, no breaks, ratios and all that. What do you think happens outside of nursing that affects burnout that you've realized with the people that you've worked with? Um, many times they um, are caregivers at work and then they come home and they're caregivers um, at home. And so there's never that that time. Um, we uh we stay stuck because we're i always say we're used to the suck at least we know what to expect for that um you know that we we don't even realize that we can choose differently that we can maybe find um a different path or a different unit and um getting you know we're scared to get out of our comfort zone so um understanding and knowing that there's growth on the other side of that can be really empowering um to some of the nurses that i've been working with to know that they're you can choose differently you don't have to stay at that job for 30 years or 40 years you know you can you can choose differently and how did you realize burnout within yourself because you said self-awareness correct so that's a long yeah. journey and a, Mm -hmm. Everybody grows in different aspects. When mm -hmm. did you become self-aware of your own burnout that you told yourself, hey, this is enough. I need to take a step back from what I'm doing because I'm going down the wrong path. I was just overall cranky and fussy and crusty is what I like to say. And I had a negative outlook. And, and that's really not like me. Um, it was affecting my relationships. I didn't want to do anything. I um, was bitter. And then I would get around coworkers that were bitter and it's just, it's like contagious. And so um, knowing that the things that used to bring me joy weren't, um, I realized it was a big wake up call. And, you know, I think we're just in such survival mode. And so I had to get past the hump of like my husband being super sick and my dad passing away, my daughter, you know, battling depression. I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm like, we survived this, but now I got to do something different. Like this is not working. This is not working for me. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mentioned about the survival instincts? So it's, is it like a learned behavior that we're always in fight or flight? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think as caregivers, yeah, we always are um, doing for other people and we put ourselves at the back burner. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's even, you know, ingrained in our DNA. If we care for everybody else. Um, nursing is really bad for martyrdom. You know, I'm going to be the martyr. I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to keep on going. 
even though my body is telling me all sorts of signals like, hey, you need to take a break, you need to take a break, you just press on through. And so, you know, I think as a profession that we've glorified that martyr, you know, like, mm -hmm, yeah. It almost seems like we always have a, we have a pandemic coming on to, into fruition from nurses themselves, which is going to be the next pandemic of having burnout workers that won't be able to take care of sick patients. Mm -hmm. That's scary. And I'm trying to think, so how did you transition from understanding this, becoming self-aware and then helping people? Where did your route kind of take you to the practitioner that you are today? And if I'm pronouncing that right, it's called anagram? Enneagram. Enneagram. Okay. Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. So that is this, the Enneagram really helped me understand, um, my, um, the ways, um, the authentic good parts of me, but also the adaptive or unhealthy parts of me. And so recognizing that, um, was really transforming in my life. I think I became a really much better version of myself. You know, all of the things that people liked about me, I was able to recognize and acknowledge and, and verbalize. But um, uh, but I've always been, you know, a big people person and understanding people. I mean, being at the bed, bedside for so long and just dealing with people, I've always been fascinated, you know, with why some people are some way and other people. And so I started um, helping some people around me, you know looking at some of their behaviors, their motivations, and realizing that um, I could share this knowledge with other people, with other nurses that are feeling really burnt out or, or completely overwhelmed or, um, you know, in this stress and understanding a little bit about themselves and starting to dream a little and starting to vision, you know, what could happen, you know, what could be. So what is kind of like an Enneagram? So is there like different yeah. parts of it? Is, is there like, what is, can you explain to me what exactly it is? Yeah. So the, so the Enneagram is a personality. It's a, like a psychological and a spiritual personality tool. Um, it dates back hundreds and hundreds of years, but basically um, there's nine different um, types or archetypes um, that people fit into. Um, and so types one through nine, and each of them have a name. And it's all about how you are um, motivated internally. It goes a little bit deeper than um, Myers-Briggs and strengths and um, some of the other personality tests because it goes really into internally what you're motivated by. And some of those Clifton strengths and all of those um, kind of go how you perform. So using using Enneagram, how can like how can that help me? It, it just tells you what motivates me and I should pursue that motivation or how does that work? Um, really, it's just self-awareness, understanding how you're wired, um, recognizing it, putting language to um, the way that that you are internally motivated by and being self-aware of that and um so that you can choose differently. So if you react a certain way or you're triggered a certain way, you can realize like number one, that, that that's a trigger. There's also um, these centers of intelligence. And if you don't know anything about the Enneagram, you can at least understand, you know, anybody can understand that we have these three centers of intelligence. We have um, uh, this, you know, intern or um, IQ, um, intelligence that's in our head. We have this heart intelligence, emotional intelligence in our heart. And then we have this gut or this instinctual 
um, intelligence. And so we, um, each person lives dominantly in a center of intelligence. And what this tool can show us is that you can step out of that dominant center of intelligence. So for me, I'm a feeler. Um, and so I live in that heart. It's all about my feelings. So I've dismissed my head intelligence. Sometimes I really need to get to the facts. I need to look at things objectively. Um, I think as a nurse, I did a really good job of listening to my intuition. I, I had a good way of being able to say like, something's not quite right. I just got a hunch here. And, and you're, you're probably familiar with that too. Like you just have a, a feeling, um, that intuition, that body sense. And so understanding, um, you know, which center of intelligence that you kind of live out of your whole life um, can kind of help narrow down your, your Enneagram type. So it's brain, heart, and gut, right? Mm -hmm. I'm definitely yep. brain. I was just gonna I'm, say, I'm for man, sure, 100% brain. brain. I'm 100 brain, yeah, yeah, because like you're yeah. you're in your head a lot. Yeah, def yeah, definitely that, and like even when I like I talk to some nurses and and I like I give them like perspectives and like ideas, they sometimes they they say it was like well that's kind of like an asshole way of saying it. I'm like, I, I don't mean it, I don't mean to come off like that, but that's like the logical explanation, you know? It doesn't like I guess I don't, I don't my intellect. right. I don't always put as much emotional thought in, into things, and then. With mm -hmm. the gut, it's pretty interesting because I'm like 50 50. Because like, there's times where, like, like um, my gut's telling me one thing, and I'm like, nah, I can't be it. And, and my gut was right. So it's definitely like a mm -hmm. gut. I feel like I have a gut brain disconnect almost sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes your gut and your heart can know things before your head. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely, definitely mm -hmm. brained on. I'm not sure what mm -hmm. you are. Yeah. Maybe Jana knows. I'm not sure. Well, are you very, because you're, you're not super emotional. No, I feel like I'm, I'm, I think I'm decently balanced. Yeah, I think, who knows? yeah I think you might be all of them. You know, is it possible to be all of them? Well, you, that's, that's the beauty of it is when you tap into all three, you're more balanced, you're more in harmony. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting because I was listening to a YouTube video and they talk about suffering in the world and mm -hmm. suffering exists because there's a disconnect between your physical body and we can say mental or spiritual, whichever aspect we want to use. So if you think about a dis-ease is just the e not being in ease with your mind and your body. So the closer you are connected and in harmony, just like you say, the less mm -hmm. suffering that you have in the physical world and both the mental or spiritual side. Mm. Yeah. So what questions do you ask yourself to start figuring this out? Is there a process that you go through? Is it journaling, meditating? Yeah, how do you figure out like your motivational factors? Well, um, you know, you can read about all of the different types. You can, um, there's assessments that you can take. There's free ones out there that you can take, but you're the only one that can decide what your Enneagram type is. You're the only one that, um, and so the tests are good to give you a starting point. Um, but really digging into, you know, is that my motivation? So for example, for, um, for me as a type two, it's called the helper or the supportive advisor. For me, it's all about um, uh, being loved or loving people. So like a type one is, is about being good and right. So they're that perfectionist. And so it, it all depends on, um, you know, what, what you're motivated by. So I always recommend that people read about it or take one of the tests to kind of start off to um, your journey. Sometimes it's really easy for people to know their type. Other times it takes a while. I know lots of people that it takes some time, but it is a great self 
transformation tool. Yeah, personality tests are always kind of like harder to do because we have to like put it, we have to be honest with those because we can't say yes to something that that we would like to be, but we're actually not, you know? Do you have like a, a quiz yourself or like a guide for people that are trying to maybe figure out their Enneagram? Yeah, I have um, a guide on my website um, that you, that's descriptions and those are kind of my descriptions, um, but they're, um, that's a free uh, offering that I have on my website and it's just a PDF that you can read over. And is there like a, cause they're one through nine, is there a few that majority of society falls into? Or is it kind of evenly spread out? You know, it's interesting. Um, the research that I've looked at that type four is the most rare, which is the romantic or the individualist. They're, um, they bring creativity to the world. Um, and then the type six is the um, loyalist or the devil's advocate. And they say that that is probably the, one of the most common. Mm -hmm. The loyalist. Four and six. The loyalist. Four and mm -hmm. six. Do you see something common amongst nurses? Because sometimes mm -hmm. when I look at nurses, I feel like we each have our little piece of trauma that we kind of bring with. And you mentioned, I also want to talk about adaptiveness. Like, how do you recognize that mechanism of adaptiveness? Um, so first question is, is what do you notice in nurses? You know, I, um, I would say most of the time it's it's some sort of caring you know that servant of wanting to serve people or care for people but I, i've actually worked with every single type as nurses I've, I've seen every single type um you know and and you can see um that's the one of the one of the beautiful things about the tool is that you can understand some of the adaptive behaviors and know that some people are really not in a good space. So if you have somebody that you're working with or a patient that's very forward, you know, in your face, they're assertive, they're um, what we like to call the boss or the challenger, you know, they, they don't mind some conflict or to, to call things out. They're very direct. Um, you know, and understanding that if they're, you know, steamrolling over people that they're probably in the not, you know, not a great state. And so realizing that you have these adaptive or layers that you've put on over your life, you can start to um, identify when, you know, when it's coming out of your mouth or when you're acting a certain way that you can go, okay. And many times, you know, I've been doing this for five or six years. Um, it's coming out of my mouth and I recognize it, but it still sometimes comes out, you know, that um, being unappreciated or, you know, so um, I've worked, like I said, I've worked with all sorts of different types. Um, some of the nurse leaders that I've worked with actually score really high in a lot of different areas because I think they've developed those leadership skills. And so we have to, it takes a little bit of work to, um, to figure out their type because they've put on, you know, all of these hats over the years. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's interesting the way you mention it, because it almost seems like you can adapt by your shortcomings, meaning if you feel like you're not good enough, you're going to work harder than anybody else to outperform, which is a good thing. But then just like you say, you're still never in harmony. And yes, you're a great leader, but you're always missing something. And that's that layer that people don't realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that the nurses fall under like all one through nine of those because like we've worked at multiple units and I feel like there's so much different personalities there. Like you can see the more empathetic nurses, the the nurses that kind of take everything too hard. And then you see those nurses that like are straight business where it's like 
not too much emotion. They just tell you how it is. So I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're, you know, all colorful and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you use any other assessments to help other than these three that you mentioned? For example, do you look at uh, chakras or anything like that? I, I don't. I do use, though, um, a needs and values assessment. Um, and it's out there. Um, you can just Google needs and values. But it's, it's really um, powerful because when you think of needs, we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, food, water, shelter. But these are more um, like the need for order, if you have a need for order or a need for peace. And so when your needs aren't met, that's when you start feeling frustrated and poor in life. And so then um, also identifying and again, putting that language to your values. Um, that is another tool that I use with people because then they can use that as a gauge of, you know, to make better decisions, to decide if this job is right for you or not. Um, and so I love using um, the needs and values. And what I find is it kind of intertwines. So for example, um, a type seven, which is the enthusiast, the life of the party, visionary, um, they're in that headspace. They, um, many times they have a need for freedom of not being tied down, of not being closed in, of having flexibility. And so um, I find that a lot of the times their needs and values correlate with their Enneagram type. I think there should be needs and values for like each unit, because like if you look at a a, a poor unit, you could say it's probably going to start with like the basics where it's a, probably a bad work environment and people aren't being being supported. So as a nurse, if I'm not being supported and I feel like I'm in a toxic environment, how can I help to to create new ideas or help uh, improve patient outcomes if my needs aren't even, even being met? So how can I help the unit or help management if if like I don't even feel safe in, at work, you know? So yeah, it's really good. It's called yeah. needs and values assessment. Uh-huh, okay. yeah. Have you ever thought yeah. about implementing this into like the workspace maybe or doing some kind of test mm-hmm. pilot? Because I know you were into committees. Have you done any of that kind of work? Um, I have worked with a couple units um, identifying um, their Enneagram numbers and just understanding um, going over each type and then them knowing what their coworkers were has been really, really good. It's helped with conflict. It's helped with communication. It's helped with um, camaraderie because they understand, oh, well, the reason that he withdraws, you know, or he or she withdraws and doesn't say anything is because he's in his, he's up in his head thinking, planning, strategizing. Um, and so, you know, another one might mistake that as being disengaged when really, you know, they're just in their mind thinking. Yeah, so what kind of question would you ask somebody if you're trying to figure out their enneagram? Um, I would probably list all of the types and go through and then have them pick two or three that seemed like it maybe fit them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, do you want me to do you want me to go through really quick and tell you what each one is? Yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. cool. Yeah. Would that be okay? Okay, so type. Type one, and I'll do this quickly, um, is the you, good You can take your time because I'm not trying to figure out which one I am. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I, I'm just getting. So they bring goodness to the world. Um, it's all about um, defining what is right and wrong, and they want to make the world a better place. And so um, perfectionist reformers, um, they have a really hard inner critic. They're hard on themselves. 
Um, for type two, it's the, the helper or the loving person, and they are um, they bring love and are attracted to love. They're generous. Um, they want everything to be in harmony, and it's all about relationships with the type two. Uh, type three is the effective person or the achiever, and it's all about efficiency and competence and goal setting and achieving those goals. And sometimes they can um, kind of fall asleep to who they are because they're always kind of shape shifting on, on who they need to be. The type four is the originalist or the individualist, and they um, are attracted to um, originality, creativity authenticity. Um, many times they're very artistic and imaginative um, and they uh, suffer from each, each type has a passion or a sin and uh, for the type four it's envy. They just have this longing that can't ever be met. Um, type five is the, the wise person or the investigator or the observer and it's all about wisdom, knowledge, um, and learning. They're the, that head type. Um, they are all about processes and getting as much information as they can. Uh, type six is the loyalist and they're attracted to and value loyalty. Um, they are faithful, trustworthy team players, but can suffer from um, worst case scenario thinking. So always planning, always um, thinking about, you know, worst case scenarios, um, you know, contingency plans and kind of can have um, their questioners or that devil's advocate. Uh, type seven is the joyful person or the enthusiast and they are all about joy and variety and excitement and what's the next thing and life is like a buffet and all um, their visionary life of the party um, but can um, struggle with staying present and sitting in pain. They're always just moving on to that next um, experience um, that can help, you know, like give them something to look forward to. Um, type eight is the powerful person or the challenger or the boss, and um, they are attracted to and appreciate power. Um, so they're strong, independent, straightforward, assertive, direct, um, and it's all about um, lust. And when I say lust, I don't mean in the sexual sense, sense I mean like just amping up of power you know, that, that energy. Um, and then type nine, the last one is the peaceful person or the peacemaker. And they are all about bringing peace and harmony um, and they are very conflict avoidant. So they'll do anything they can to um, not have conflict. So they are really good about being mediators and seeing kind of both sides of the story. So that was a quick rundown. So I'm thinking about it. You said you got down to three, I guess. I, I feel like I have traits of four, five, six, and seven. I got four. Okay. Okay. Did you think about it, Matt? Yeah. So it's funny because the last one you mentioned, I used to always mediate, avoid conflict, and I always wanted peace amongst everybody in the group. Uh, when you were younger? When I was younger. So, I'd say the way I felt. too. So I, I was super zen when I was younger, but I grew out of that super zen. Now you know how to punch somebody else. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say seven a little bit, like an enthusiast there, some... I don't know if it's travel nursing or everything that we're doing, but we're just, it's always on to the next. Mm -hmm. Like I don't slow down. And that's one thing I struggle with because I, I have to kind of gauge myself back and enjoy that present moment. Or I'm with somebody, what's next? Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of tool. I saw some harmony there that I enjoyed and I've, I always want like world peace in a way. Like that's like my mission in life. I want to figure mm -hmm. out how do we could like 
create peace, but it's so hard in this disconnected world. Mm. So that's that's where my mind's at with those. And which one did you okay. say? Did you say you were? You were number two, I think? Um, and then two, two, type two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Four? Sorry. Yeah. I, I'm going to definitely dive deep into this for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to take a bath and look into it later on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> what did you notice like amongst this 30-minute conversation amongst us? Um, I noticed uh, that... Matt, you, um, I think are probably more of a forward. You mentioned like what's next and thinking ahead. Um, those are, there's lots of layers to the Enneagram. There's wings, there's subtypes, there's, there's lots of different layers, but there's also types have a certain orientation to time. And when you mentioned, you know, thinking ahead and future, um, there are three types that are forward or, um, future oriented. And so their work um, the work for them is to stay present to this, to the now and working on, you know, sitting with pain and emotions and, and being present to that. Yeah. I, I can attest yeah. with, and, I got test with that one. The one where you're saying that he's like on to the next one. Cause that's something that we, that we both struggle with is we have good ideas and we start doing them. And then once we kind of start doing it for a little bit, we move on to the next thing. And sometimes we, we leave things undone. So that's definitely mm-hmm. something that we need to work on in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say that you definitely a head type one, which is, um, five, six, and seven. So I would, I would focus on, on those three. For sure. We'll do it five, six, mm-hmm. and seven. Yeah. So I guess I, I did a pretty good uh, assessment of myself too. I, I threw a little four in there, but, but five, six, and yeah. seven seems legit. Yeah. And you can, um, you know, the, the model that I use is you can grab from other numbers. So like if you, as a type two, it's really good for me to head to the five to step into my head intelligence and then also step into the power and the direction and the action of the eight. So there's this path that you can take to grow in your type as well. As a five, I'm here to help. <laughs> okay. Well, then you probably need to step into your heart at some time, at some point, you know, and then the action part of that, that's that eight. 100%. Yeah. And this is interesting mm-hmm. because it's a little bit less woo. For example, some people use astrology and all this other yeah. terms and people kind of get um, disengaged from it because they think it's more of a spiritual, unfactual sense. And here it's a little bit more concrete where you could kind of dictate everything and it's more grounded into, I don't know how to put it into words, but it's more personality type oriented where you could actually solve it not saying you're some kind of pisces water and that's it that's just that's all i can do with it race is cool because like with those those birth types and stuff like it's almost a good sitter like your your birthday and your birth time with enneagrams it's more like who am i as a person and that ex, like it's almost you explaining your you explaining yourself to yourself and and why exactly. you do certain things instead of like just just based on where where you're born or, or what time where it's kind of just like not really the most practical thing if you're trying to figure out who you are, because if you're trying to figure out who you are as a person, you're not gonna, you shouldn't look to the stars. You should look within yourself, right? And this is kind of what the enneagrams are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and once you start that inner journey of yourself and understanding, you know, why you do the things you do, then then it just like ripples to the relationships around you, and it gives you um, an opportunity to give yourself some grace and be that kind of curious observer is what I like to call like internally looking at without judgment. Oh, well, I reacted that way. I always react that way. You know, what can I learn from that? And I noticed you mentioned grace a few times throughout the episode. So Mm -hmm. is grace something you truly, really believe in that could change a lot of people? Is that like the hallmark of the design? 
Um, I don't know if it's the, yeah, I would say that's the hallmark of the design. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all need, yeah, we all need grace for ourselves to give us, you know, we are hard on ourselves. We have this inner critic that's in there, you know, telling us, you know, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough, you know, whatever. And um, when we can give ourselves a little bit of grace and then we give our coworkers and people that we meet and the people that we have, com- you know, our family, anybody who we have conflict with, we can give grace to them as well. Uh, you mentioned that inner critic. Do you think that's a voice that was from childhood, which is the the subconscious mind, the body that's always talking you down? Or who is that inner voice? And this is all just I speculation. Think, <laughs> I think it can be, um, you know, for um, some types, it's like an inner committee. Um, and so I think it's, it's different. Um, I do like to do inner critic work with, with women, with clients and, um, really just kind of do that observer where you're looking and going, okay, what, what are they trying to protect me from? You know, kind of stepping back and, and doing that curiosity. Um, because many times, um, they're trying to keep us safe or kind of trying to protect us from something or to, um, somehow protect. And so if you can kind of dive a little bit deeper into that, it can be helpful. So you said you work with, for you, to t- you said you work with females and are inner critic. What's something that women criticize themselves most? Oh, I would say shame of I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not enoughness. You know, I'm, um, you know, I, I can't give myself a hundred percent at work because I'm giving myself a hundred percent at home. And, you know, then your loved one gets the scraps. So just that, that shame of the expectation that you have to be a certain way, you have to you know, have it all together and not get, you know, not allow yourself to rest, recover. I think it's tough for women, especially now with the time of social media comparison, just like you said, shame, I'm not good enough and they need to get lips or whether it's breasts or different augmentations mm-hmm. or more makeup mm-hmm. and there's just so much and not including that but they have such a hard time becoming best friends i don't know why they're so catty and peter and i are both males but it's like any single time i've known friends that were like a trio whatever for some after months or years they somehow one of them has to drift off or someone has to kind of kind of cause some conflict where they, they can't be the three best friends Mm-hmm. I wonder why that is. Do you have any ideas? Um, you know, I think it's just uh, these, again, these adaptive behaviors that we've put on over the years that, um, you know, when you're not in a healthy state, when you're not accessing all, you know, those three centers of intelligence, when your feelings get hurt, when there's something objective that you could look at, you know, like what are the facts? And um, sometimes we don't have the best um, conflict skills um, communication skills and, um, you know, add a bunch of emotions into that. And, you know, a lot of us haven't done the good thought work, you know, understanding that a thought leads to, you know, whatever we're thinking leads to how we feel and being able to distinguish that and go, okay, what's a different thought that I can have? you know, going to that, that intellect part and going that this thought can, can make me feel differently. If I even, I don't have to go like completely positive. I can almost even just go neutral. 
um, but that makes me have a different feeling. And so I think um, a lot of us are immature in our in our um, processing skills on some of that. Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, women that I like spoke to, and I could, and a lot of them I always sense that they're always comparing themselves to somebody else, and and they always view themselves less than than somebody else. How do you kind of break that mindset of of of, key, of those thoughts is it just to change one thought at a time is there something you can incorporate into your life meditation how can you help somebody that's really kind of stuck in comparison and always feeling not enough well i think doing the self-discovery part the inner work is key of under and, and the enneagram is a great tool to look at that and you know identify the behaviors your motivations why you're doing why you're wanting to please you know, are, are you a big people pleaser? Why is that? You know, are you feeling you know, unworthy on the inside and then doing that work of going, okay, I am worthy. You know, I am smart. I am enough. Um, and realizing that, and many times it takes experience and age and some sort of event that happens that kind of shakes you up and go, okay, let's, let's switch this around. 100%. Yeah. What are some ways that you practice self-awareness or self-love for yourself? Um, you know, solitude. Solitude is one of the things that I never did. I didn't even, you know, I was so unself-aware that I didn't even, somebody asked me, like, what do you like to do for fun? I'm like, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, how sad is that? And so it led me down to... Um, you know, like what, what do I like? What's, what's my dreams? I don't even know what my dreams are. You know, what, you know, okay. I like nature, but what is that? And so it allowed me, it gave me, um, I don't want to say permission, but it just, a, a growth path that I need to be by myself. I need to figure out things on my own. I need, um, I need to, um, travel by myself. Like I've always been around people and caring for people. So what, what that looked like for me was stepping away and kind of, withdrawing into more um of that away space and doing you know asking questions about myself you know discovering what it is why i am made the way that i am and what gives me life you know being out kayaking gives me life um you know learning about photography gives me life and just being able to dive a little bit more into caring instead of caring for other people i'm starting to figure out what I like. Yeah, I think people need to understand that like it's okay just to be you. I feel like some people always try to put on like on a specific persona or try to fit in. And I, the first thing I think to being self-aware is being okay with just the way you are. Just be okay with whatever, mm -hmm. whatever thoughts you're currently having. And your thoughts aren't always the truth and they're not, not always controllable, right? Sometimes you get thoughts mm -hmm. in, in your head that are completely wild and you're like, where did that come from? That doesn't shape you, you know? And this the same way where you understand and and are okay with being yourself you have to also understand that there's also room for growth and room for, room for change but first you have to be okay with yourself before you can even even think about changing because you're not even going to be sure on what to change unless you truly know yourself yeah and i think um a lot of that where i mean you can there's all sorts of work you know journaling and some people but i almost call it like brain dumping and vomiting on the page you know not really vomiting but like when that overwhelm of there's so much, I don't even know where to start, just practicing getting messy on paper and just getting everything out of my head on paper. And that's been, and starting to look at like consistent, you know, like little buckets of stuff and, and starting to, um, 
even vision, you know, vision boarding is something that I love working with women on, you know, it really sparks that like, what if, you know, what in two or three years, you know, what does my traveling look like? You know, do I want to travel someplace and, and planting that, that seed or, you know, is it yoga or is it for me, I've wanted to learn to be handy, like to fix things and to use tools and something that I had never, you know, I'm actually pretty good at it. Find out, you know. And for all the guys out there, like these are some words from Jordan Peterson, but you, you can't clean up your mind without cleaning up your room first. If you're constantly have a messy room or a messy living space, that's kind of a resembles on, on how you are as a as a person and how you are in your mind. So like when people ask me like where do I start? What do I begin begin? I always say, like, you know, look at yourself internally and then also look at your external environment. If you have a messy room or a, me- or a messy house, clean that up because you're going to be constantly distracted with, with these messes same way you are constantly distracted with those messes in your mind. I think it's, it's just so sad that our school system didn't teach us the most important skills uh, that we need in life. I, Cope, stress, emotional intelligence. It's all intellect, right? 100%. And it kind of drains creativity right out of our body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, so much. I wish that I would have known this long ago in my early years, early marriage, you know, my husband and I have been married like 23 years and we're, we always say like, oh, wow, we wish that we would have known. This would have helped a lot, you know, during, you know, some rough patches. So I wish that I would have known this earlier in life. But uh, but imagine yeah. if if you, you know, never learned in the first place, you know, so it's this exactly. kind of journey, it's a journey of life. You know, you learn mm-hmm. different things at different points. We all go through different experiences, but, you know, somehow we all ended up here at this, at the same time, you know, in, in mm-hmm. agreeance with things. So it's, it's just like, life is amazing and you just have to cherish, cherish it because it's the only life that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jay Shetty said an interesting quote too. And he said, you can't be like, when someone tells you, you can do whatever you want, you can become, uh, and that's like a false statement because you have to learn to become everything that you already are. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, just like you say, like peeling back those layers and finding your true self. And mm-hmm. some of us are based that value on external things where we can collect what's in my garage, what's in my bank account. And that's never creating happiness, right? But really, we just got to do that mental work in here. And no one tells us these things. Just like you mentioned, I wish I learned earlier in my life as well, because we're running around looking for external validation to somehow soothe and quench whatever is in here. And it was never satisfied. Never. Yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent, you know, and, and, you know, knowing that it's all about the journey, not necessarily like when you get there, um, it's all, you know, finding that joy in the journey of learning about yourself of these, you know, I always call them life lessons lessons or growth opportunities that you've, you know, challenges that you've been through, no matter what they teach you something and, and give you wisdom. And so it's that finding the joy in the journey, um, rather than just getting to the top of the mountain. What is your current obsession right now? Um, I would say my current obsession is dogs and donkeys on TikTok. Dogs and donkeys. Yeah. So we're getting ready to move to a farm. We're building a barn. We're living going to live in a barn. And um, I want to get like a miniature donkey and like act like it's a dog and it would love on me and let me pet it. And- oh, that's so interesting. Because I random I, yesterday, I don't know what I was looking at, but it was about donkeys. 
uh, being used as like cattle dogs because donkeys are able to like fight off wolves and, and other animals very yeah. well. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. I just heard that too. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so funny. A donkey can fight yeah. off. Your wolves, yeah, they're very, very, they're very good at, at fighting off like animals that try to like attack the, the pack of sheep or whatever animals oh, you have. Yeah. That's cool mm -hmm. because they're always mm -hmm. portrayed as like the dumb animal mm -hmm. in every cartoon. And, yes. And that's my old programming that's telling me right now, hey, I don't think you could do that. Yeah, same. When I was watching yesterday, I, I had to like listen. I was like, donkeys are supposed to be like, you say they're dumb animals, you know, but no, they're actually fairly intelligent. And I guess they're strong too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get a donkey instead of a dog in the future. 100%. Okay, well. Me too. Me go. too. So, are, are you learning to be more like sustainable on your own environment that you guys are moving from? Uh... Yeah, hopefully we will. I mean, we're not there yet, but yes, I would like to definitely. Um, garden, you know, garden and um, good green energy. Yeah, so, yeah. Sure. yeah, I think that's something that we all need to uh, come back to. I feel like we're so disconnected from nature and it's causing so much disharmony yeah. uh, with ourselves and you know, even if you think about it, if we're technically overpopulated, as the world says, and we need to work on climate change, and you know, why don't, why doesn't the government or the world teach us skills how to learn how to be more sustainable and how to, you know, take from the environment and, and then give back to the environment? And um, I, we're in Chicago, so I always talk to my grandpa about these things, how, you know, they, they grow crop and they also use fertilizer from animals for the cr uh, crops to fertilize. They use the leaves. They don't throw them away. They feed the pigs instead. And it's always full circle. Nothing goes mm -hmm. to waste just like nature, right? It's always in this perfect um, sphere of, jeez, oh, I'm blanking out on these words, continuum, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like um, I wish we could learn those tools just like I want to say, just get back to nature. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that book, um, the, nature, uh, the Nature Fix. The nature um, yeah. yeah it was their inbox oh you should read it you would love it it's a great book um yeah it's all about getting out in nature and um getting you know grounded breathing in forest bathing all of that yeah 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 and i think that that's connecting and grounding and getting in our body and you know the breath and being in that present moment yeah we actually did a, an episode on our podcast where we were out in nature uh it was lake tahoe Silver Lake in Oregon, I believe. Okay, well, so, oh, yeah, wow. we're all outdoor and it was cool because you can see the mountains behind us and stuff like that. But that was very refreshing because usually when we podcast, we're, we're like inside in like a like a space, but it was very nice talking about some stuff like out in nature. Mm. Yeah. And Jenna, yeah. where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram as Enneagram Nurse and um, also on um, Facebook as the Enneagram Nurse page. Um, I have a community uh, there that um, we work on, uh, and connect and have community. And, um, that's one thing I will say with, with the Enneagram is having, um, a friend or somebody that you can talk to, um, to talk through it and to, um, to be honest with you, you can ask questions to them, you know, about how, um, some of the behaviors or the motivations and what they see. So having a community is always really helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Jenna. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It was nice to meet you. You as well. Bye. Bye.